0: Shut
1: up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode ninety-two of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with my co-host Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. Hello guys, how are you today? Yeehaw! Good to be here, man. We've only spent like 18 hours setting up this show. So, I don't know um, why it's taken so long, to be honest. I mean, my PC decided <laughs> to update itself and yeah. took about an hour doing so. Yeah, PC, uh, Then all the equipment All the equipment just stopped working for no discernible reason. Um... And then we threatened Jack with physical violence and suddenly it all started working again.
2: Yeah. Well then, well, then at the very tail end, you did have a very technical problem known as twats talking too loud outside. So, yes. you know, all yeah. kinds of problems. But we persevere. We're back with episode 92. Now, we said last time that we'd be back a bit sooner than the usual Wednesday recording slot. And we are. Uh, we are recording this show on, what day is it today? Sunday. Okay, um, yes. So it will be up later today. You will be listening to it, perhaps on Sunday, perhaps later. But the reason we're doing that is because, and we're barely going to mention this today, but Paul Anderson and I are lucky enough to be uh, jetting off to sunny Barcelona in just a few days time for Primavera Sound. So we're kind of preoccupied and like obsessed with that. But we decided we've got to get the podcast out, not least, Paul, because there's kind of a significant film release this week, is there not? Uh, There is, yes.
1: So the focus this week will be uh, Solo, uh, or Solo, a Star Wars story, uh, which is me giving Star Wars another roll of the dice after how much I did not like The Last Jedi. So um, it's quite close to my heart. It'll be interesting to see. I think you're probably looking forward to hearing about what I think. Um... And yes, so that will be our feature review. So we'll probably truncate the other bits of the episode, maybe just do one popcorn movie each um, so we can get into it a bit more about Star Wars. Obviously, we haven't had a chance to watch as much since the last episode, which went out Wednesday anyway, so we've had a little bit less time to squeeze some stuff in. So maybe a slightly short episode, maybe not. We'll see what happens. Uh, And then we will return probably later part of the week after next with another episode once we have returned from Barcelona. Yeah,
2: because um, I, I don't know about you two guys, but like given the, the shortness of time before going away and, and sort of the need to get this show out, I've been focusing my energies mainly on making fat stacks because then I've got to take time off of work in order to afford the absolutely obnoxious amount of money that it's going to cost to do this festival. So, um, yeah, we're going to do the best that we can. But the point of doing this show, as Paul made clear, is the Star Wars movie and we get that review in uh, with, to you, I should say, in due course. First of all, though, around this time, we usually jump into the foyer on your virtual trip through the cinema that we, uh, you know, carry you on each week. Paul, what do you want to talk about this week on the show?
1: Well, it seems to be there's going to be quite a heavy Star Wars focus this week, uh, which is all good with me. Well, or is it? Um, James Mangold uh, is looking likely to have signed on to write and direct the uh, Boba Fett um, Star Wars story film that Josh Trank got unceremoniously dumped off Um a few months, or maybe a year ago now, actually, um, I think he was pre- just had an idea prepared, was was going to do some Star Wars celebration like pictures and stuff for it, and then was, I think, possibly resigned actually, or was fired. Uh, I'm not sure which one. So um, this Boba Fett film that people uh, have been eagerly anticipating, has now got James Mangold attached. For those who aren't aware of who James Mangold is, James Mangold is the man who so admirably directed the awesome, awesome Logan um and the other and the second wolverine film as well which i think is quite underrated yeah so i think right. he's a i think he's a very very good choice for this um what else has james Mangold done he's done did, he did copland all, all the way back when um he's quite a versatile director to be fair so i think he's a great choice for this um and if you look at what he's done with um with, yeah taken like the the logan character or the wolverine character um and produced a film that kind of that but in some ways is part of a massive franchise, but also stands on its own two feet. I think that's that could be very interesting. Whether they take this in such a violent and bloody direction as Logan or not, I'd be intrigued to see whether Star Wars goes that dark. I'd quite like to see a dark Star Wars beat. I have to say, like, something in the in the vein of Logan. Um, whether we get it or not, I doubt it. I still think this is an interesting choice.
2: Yeah, so um, two things, really. First of all, uh, you mentioned about like James Mangold's other stuff. And he directed 310 to Yuma. That's uh, it. quite act actually, uh, Walk the nice. Line, going back a little bit further, Walk the yeah. Line with Wacken Phoenix. Um, Identity, which was okay. Uh, Kate and Leopold, which I never saw. Girl Interrupted, which of course won uh, an Oscar for Angelina Jolie, didn't it? Did it not?
0: It did, um, yes. I think.
2: Correct. Copland, that you mentioned. And uh, the only other one was, oh, Night and Day with Tom Cruise and uh, Cameron Diaz. So um, yeah, a a mixed bag there, Um, but most of of it, I would say fairly enjoyable. And you're absolutely right. Like once we got up to near present day and Logan, it was such a shot in the arm to not only that character's sort of arc and the way that he'd been presented on screen as as beloved as, as uh, the Wolverine character is and was, but also to sort of superhero movies at large because of the fact, like you say, Paul, that it went so dark that we realised, you know, not since Chris Nolan took over the Batman franchise had that sort of darker t- tone been been seen in a way that wasn't just sort mm. of like a relentless dull dirge, like some of the the slightly darker, uh, perhaps like, like DC most of movies. The DC films, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm I'm for for one, uh, for two, I suppose. In addition to you, Paul, I, I'm quite quite looking forward to that. Can I ask though? My second question for you is. Um, is this what they're doing with star wars now as in like are we going to have a series of films that are called like name of character a star wars story
1: pretty much i think yeah um it looks like the obi-wan film's happening as well There's a director attached to that possibly attached to that i've completely forgotten the name of now i did read it somewhere earlier so the obi-wan film may be happening um i don't know i kind of like, like the idea of it and we'll get into it more when we talk about solo but i think it's it's quite interesting to see other aspects of the Star Wars universe. Um, Boba Fett's a character that is uh, a huge, huge fan favourite and actually is in the films very, very little. So I think it's a bit of a gamble. I think part of part of what makes the Boba Fett character so popular is probably the mystery behind him. So I'll be intrigued to see how well this works or whether or not maybe... You, if you see where I'm coming from, where this becomes like they almost explain too much of the character. Mm. Um, but at the same time an incredibly popular character most people would say myself included that Boba Fett is one of my favourite Star Wars characters so I think there is a lot of anticipation to see how this will work Um, and I think a lot of it will hinge on Uh, how good Solo is which or how bad Solo is which we'll come to later and whether or not there's actually an appetite for seeing different parts of the Star Wars universe or whether people just want to see the core story and are only really really interested in episodic numbers so yeah and and from a
2: sort of like removed slightly from the fan base I suppose um it from the kind of bean counter side of this equation it probably works out very nicely that you can start doing this thing where you're sort of rolling out movies that aren't so anchored to chronology like me and uh, Jack Jack and I were talking about this just before we came on air actually that like once you've got the character you've got enough space to decide which particular sort of smaller story you're going to tell and where that's going to fit in with the bigger picture which gives a lot more freedom perhaps to the fu- future movies than some of the i mean i'm a bit out of my depth talking about this to be fair but like that's the impression i get do you think that's accurate paul i think that's fair yeah and i think you know it
1: makes obviously it makes it a bit easier for them to make as you say to make sequels to these things like whether you know whether or not they whether or not these remain, I think the idea is them for, to remain for them to remain standalone. But you're not telling me from a financial perspective if one hits big, then they haven't. I, I would have thought that all of the cast for Solo, for example, have signed on for multiple films. I think it seems to be the way that way it goes now with big sort of tempo blockbusters that even if they make whether they make them or not, uh, the cast seem to be signed on for multiple films. So I think it always leaves the the business options open there. So yeah um yeah, yeah. I
2: suppose that's the point I'm trying to make is that like before the obsession with sort of was sort of like okay so we went four five six one two three seven eight nine okay is this going to be like minus one or is it going to go at the end of that series but now the option is open that it doesn't really go anywhere I mean of course it's going to link in with with story arcs individual story arcs and stuff like that but it's not as set in stone that your movie has to be between point A and sort of point B or whatever, yeah. right? In that yeah. series, Jack thoughts, excitement, lack, of, lack thereof. Obviously, don't say anything about the movie we're going to review later. But like, how do you feel about rolling out Star Wars films into the long and distant future?
0: I actually think it's quite exciting, um, generally, because you know you don't actually get much in depth into the characters in the normal Star Wars films. So to see Boba Fett on the big screen would be quite, quite good. I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, it seems like then from, from the three of us, like mod- moderate to sort of decent amounts of enthusiasm for this thing. Yeah. And, and we'll see, I guess, where it, where it goes from here. Um, anything else that you want to bring up in the foyer? I've got a little something for you, Paul, if you don't have anything else.
1: Uh, Danny Boyle has been confirmed to direct the new Bond, which I thought wasn't. It seems to be new news in the, where I've been reading it. Maybe it's just been rumored. So that should be interesting. Mm. Or although again, I've kind of wandered away. My what interest in Bond has waned considerably in the past few years. So mm.
2: maybe Danny Boyle can bring back some some of the excitement to that franchise for me. You know um, what we need. You know what we need in these these days, this day and age. Female Bond. Give us a female Bond. I mean, we can have yeah the Black Bond. We maybe is Idris Elba and that whole thing has that gone to bed now? Is that not? That's not well, Daniel Craig's definitely coming back for this one. I right. think this will be his last, um, unless there's do something one offer him.
0: James Bond film?
2: I have no idea. Do you know Paul? Do you know what number we're 15th, up to Fifteenth, so. did you say? More yeah. than fifteen? It's got to be more than fifteen. Yeah, but yeah, I don't it's know. It's
1: Bond twenty-three, I think, or possibly. Oh, okay. Guy, <laughs> <But laughs> the yeah, day well. was the
2: twentieth
1: think, so this could be... Tw- oh, it might be even be higher than that. I'm not sure. I've lost track. Someone listening will certainly
2: know that number. Yeah, Bond um, nerds, you know, get your opinions heard. Uh, actually, it's number of 24. Uh, or there'll be, like, the, the big debate over, like, that... What, wasn't there, like, Casino Royale as, like, a TV...
1: Yeah, and then also Never Say... And also, no, Casino Royale was made with David Niven. Right. Uh, and then also there'll be some debate as to whether Never Say Never Again was a Bond film, because that reintroduced Sean Connery to it. it had a Bond song. Um, and but then was never officially recognised as, as a as a Bond film. So yeah, check out Bond. Nads, I do know a little bit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice. Um, I just wanted to add to this uh, sort of superhero slash big popcorn film there, loving uh, a little bit of Thanos news that may have passed you by, which is that. Uh, But basically, tonight, full disclosure, I wanted to get this podcast smashed out sooner because uh, it happens to be UFC Liverpool on live TV right now, and it's actually kind of killing me that I'm not watching that and I'm doing this. Is this why?
1: Is this why? At the moment, I'm looking at you. You've got one sleeve of your t-shirt rolled up, and you're wearing a red cap sideways. Probably.
2: I'm quite antsy. I quite, I quite want to scrap. But um, yeah, no. uh, the reason I bring up MMA, apart from that I try to do that at every turn, is because Friday night saw a different event, Bellator, it doesn't matter, uh, in London. But Michael Venom Page, who's like this really flary fighter in the kind of ish Anderson Silver but with a different fighting style mode of like, you know, dropping your hands and showboating and like r- ridiculous antics in, in the cage. Uh, he danced his way to a victory where he led the guy that he was fighting to verbally submit... Because I think he was basically like, I just can't handle the amount that he's taking the piss out of me anymore. So I'm just going to verbally submit. And then when he had won the fight, he got out. He always has a prop. He's done, like, um, uh, Pokemon before. He's been, like, whatever that character at the Pokemon is, he, like, catches them all. Oh, Ash. Ash, right. He's done that before. This time he got the Thanos Glove. And then he was, like, talking about turning all his opponents into dust. And then they asked him who he wanted next, and he was just pointing at the Infinity Stones as if though those were, like, the fallen opponents. I mean, someone needs to point out to Michael Venom Page that he hasn't actually fought anyone of particular repute at this point. But it was fun. <laughs> it was a fun touch, and it tied into the zeitgeist. It was, like, a couple of weeks late, but, you know, you can't blame him for trying. So uh, look it up, though. It's a, an incredibly enjoyable fight. Yeah, like, it,
1: it, Infinity War is, like, a really old film now. Like Deadpool 2 come out since then he needs to get the times
2: yeah in the age of the internet i mean that is ancient ancient history (laughs) right talking of ancient history this episode this part of this episode has turned to dust and we will be back in just a moment with popcorn movies
1: so i'm eager to jump in here uh i've recently been Unsurprisingly, Pete, buying some Blu-rays. I don't know if this is I don't know if this is a surprise to you at all. Um, not all of which have been still books. I I would just get that in there. I'd titanium books? Is there a new uh, type of book? No, not a titanium book, no. So this was so I've been buying some four K 4K, 4k Blu-rays. Uh, and one of which that has recently dropped through my letterbox is Luc Besson's Leon, which is a film I have not seen for a very, 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 very long time. Uh, and I watched it, believe it or not, that's why I've come up with it on popcorn movies. I actually oh, I watched it. All right. um, it's incredible. Have you have you seen this recently, Pete? Because I've I genuinely no. forgotten how good this film is. It's no, so No, I good.
2: haven't. I did, I did this thing, which I probably still do, but I used to do a lot more when I was at uni, where I just look for the thing that people like and then tell them oh, how yes. it's actually quite shit. And um, so I'd seen Leon a couple of times as like a teenager... And then by the time I was sort of 20, I decided it was shit. It isn't. It's really good. I just haven't watched it, watched it for ages, really. So I'd have to go back to it. What, what, With Fresh Eyes, what did you make of it? Presumably, it's been a while for you, right? Yeah, it's been a very, a very long
1: time. Um, yeah, it's just the, like the, the uh, chemistry between um, Jean Reno and Natalie Portman is fantastic. Um, it marks out. He, it's not... Natalie Portman's first major performance, I would say, and she's incredible in it, and the the dynamic between the two of them um, is very, very interesting. I actually... I'm not sure I'd wa- i watched the extended cut this time around, which I'm not sure I've actually seen before, despite claiming that, obviously, I'd only watched the extended cut when I was in my early 20s, so similar to what he did, but I just, I just think flagrantly lied um, and had seen the theatrical cut. Um, so the extended cut actually adds in a little bit more, I would say, awkward scenes, where she kind of almost offers herself to Leon at certain points, um, and he, he thankfully declines, so because I think the film would have taken a very weird edge otherwise. So it adds a bit more of that. It adds a bit more of that context into the relationship, which I actually think kind of adds a more uncomfortable edge to the film, and I think works in its favour in the fact that he, the fact that he is certainly declines those sexual advances and does just look at her in like a as a, like a father figure, which I think is is left a little bit open in the theatrical cut. So I think those those changes made a difference. Um, the set pieces are sparing, but they are absolutely superb. Like, the tension they build is, is brilliant. Um, it's, it's just it's frustrating, really, because it reminds me of what Luke Besson could at, was actually capable of. Like, he on, on form, he is an incredible filmmaker. He's but, absolutely superb. But it's funny you um, say that,
2: because then, like, you, you know how we discussed this quite recently. But the first, in my opinion, the first sort of five, ten minutes of Valerian were just breathtaking. And then it went where it went, which was kind of a bit all over the place and and a bit sort of blamongy and kind of lost focus. But um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like on his day, the guy's, like he's almost at the level at which and sort of budget at which he works, I would say almost peerless in terms of like action film directors, because there aren't many people who do think, do a thing that like can't, can be defined as something like Luc Besson. You know what I mean? Like there's not many people in that space, I don't think.
1: No, absolutely. He's a very stylish filmmaker, um, and the, the Gary Oldman is the so the villain in here. This as well. Gary Oldman's incredible in this. So to kind of like, I was watching it with um, with my wife, and she kind of like she was. I've always thought Gary Oldman was a little bit overrated, and I think I can I can see why people would. I think he's uh, in recent years. I mean, he's he's fine in uh, as Churchill uh, in The Darkest Hour, but in recent years, I think he's almost done like a Morgan Freeman route where he kind of phones it in as. Sort of the more, you know, do you know what I mean? In terms of he's taken very safe roles, I think, and this one he's, uh, he's he's having he's having a lot of fun, um, and he's camping it up in a big way. Not quite as much as he camps it up in the fifth element, but he's a very effective villain. But it's just it's it just the, the thing is with Leon. I think the the key relationship between Leon and Matilda. I just think the film still feels very fresh today, and I think that's what really marks this out. Is not just the action set pieces, not just Shawnee, but just Edwin. Just when everything just works like impeccably well together. This is one of those films and I just think it's it's a nineties classic without showing sure, of a doubt.
2: And would you say, Paul, that um sort of a young Natalie Portman slightly reminds you of Laura Maybury from Churches? Just mentioning that because um there actually it. Primavera... Is that because we're seeing churches yeah. at Primavera this week? Yeah, it's coming up, yeah. it's coming up real <laughs> soon. Um what how to transition? oh yeah perfect transition actually my popcorn <laughs> movie for this week is uh, a movie in which uh, gillian jacobs goes to barcelona hey oh it's almost <laughs> as if i've seen this whole re- shoehorned this whole reviewing um yes this one brand new on the netflix streaming video platform uh, is called ibiza uh, which indicates to you perhaps if you're an eagle-eared listener that in fact she's going to end up going to ibiza as well that's not really a spoiler um, Gillian Jacobs, people know from Community, I guess, um, most prominently. And then more recently, Love, the TV series also on Netflix, which is very good. And then she's been making various sort of um, supporting uh, character role appearances and also sort of leading roles in slightly smaller or medium budget films. Uh, she's a very charming uh, lead. And here she pe- plays this girl who is tasked... With going, uh, as I said, to Barcelona to make a business deal with a supplier of sangria, right? You've seen this. I think so, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I I I did watch
1: this it's pretty vague about why she's actually going yeah <laughs> no I,
2: th- I believe that's what it is there's a sangria deal to be made you've got to go to barcelona and you've got to like schmooze with some people and do a couple business meetings but obviously things take a turn for the wacky because she's with some mates uh who kind of tag along on the trip those people i should have their names uh close to the hand they are um phoebe robinson And Vanessa Bayer. And Vanessa is kind of a standout. Vanessa is this actress that we've seen in a number of, um, again, supporting comedy roles. She's also on the SNL cast at various points. Uh, Very, very talented. To to cut a long sort of explanation short for a film that probably doesn't deserve a long explanation, I (laughs) thought this was, um, at turns, quite funny. It made me laugh out loud a few times. It was also a bit aimless. It also was very much in love with the idea of being in a European nightclub. So spent quite a lot of its running time just kind of lapping up that um, situation. Uh, it also has this performance by what's the guy's name uh, that I'm forgetting here? The King of the North, the Scottish guy, yeah. Rob Who's Stark, it?
1: Rob Stark from Game of Thrones. Um, what completely it? forgotten his name? His actual completely completely forgotten his actual name. The that King of guy. the North. For the sake of argument, people have seen Game of Thrones.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that guy's in it, right? And he's yeah. he's sort of quite charming. He's supposed to be some kind of. Uh, internationally renowned dj for sort of like uh bangers in the club is that all the kids call him i've been clubbing for a bit and um <laughs> yeah he has this kind of will they won't they they probably will uh, romance with gillian jacobs she ends up following him to ibiza because she thinks that that's the way to sort of uh, finally have the which, opportunity to. which i there.
1: will i'm gonna wade in here which yeah. is in the way the film friends this is ridiculous because they spend what 30 seconds together in the nightclub and she decides to put her job on the line and chase him to Ibiza like and he's good looking don't get me wrong but but it's a meet cute It's a cute, isn't it because she has a
2: she has a neon penis on her face and that's like the (laughs) kind of cute way that we meet like loved ones you know future partners these days Um, and so yeah from that point of view I mean they're charming but you kind of you're right like they know each other about four seconds and then we're supposed to care about their romance I wanted to see more of that I wanted to see like a bit more of the relationship develop but the film's not really interested in that it's kind of like a road movie about having fun with the girls it works on those terms relatively well but like you said i think in comments right after i mean don't get it twisted this isn't like girls trip like level of, of either no. amusing or sort of engaging uh, but neither but is it rough night
1: thankfully it's rough not rough night either
2: sure. no it, it's fine is what it is it's fine and if you've got like a sort of friday or saturday night you're staying in and you want to watch something like entertaining enough with gillian jacobs who is lovely and clearly talented in the leading role then um yeah why not um uh, but give, bear give in mind,
1: though, when you do watch it, it has no idea of how to express the passing of time because the evening she spends in Ibiza, we were trying to work out. It appears she's there for about sixteen or seventeen hours if you actually think about it. Yeah. but like, the, like but I it's think dark. I think, I think that's
2: drug taking, though, isn't it? So please?
1: much time has passed. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I would agree with you. It's it's fine. It's it's. I think it. It's got a a heart to it. And I think it's her performance that carries it through its less funny sections. Yeah, I mean, Um,
2: you're you're right. And I think, like, if people have seen Love, which I do fairly wholeheartedly recommend with a couple of reservations that aren't for now, um, then you'll know that the Gillian Jacobs that she's playing here, she's this sort of, like, flawed slightly unsure person who's looking for a direction in the future it's very similar to her character in that in that show so if you like that show you'll enjoy this it's like a kind of love on tour without the little whiny guy um so yeah check it out and and like I said before Vanessa Bayer is a standout um I think she she sort of um competes with Gillian Jacobs for for standout player in this thing I've talked enough about Ibiza it's not that important um, but it's on Netflix available at the moment Uh, Jack do you have any popcorn movies or should we get the hell out of here
0: let's get the hell out of
2: here cool we'll be back in a moment with (laughs) Coming Attractions
1: and back we are so Coming Attractions Uh, I'm going to dive in first Um, this film excites me a lot I'll be honest there we go Pete this week, I'm talking about a film I'm genuinely looking forward to and not just savaging a terrible trailer, a la Jurassic World, yeah. <laughs> uh, The Fallen Kingdom. Um, so, yes, yeah, so regardless of that, I'm not going to go through that all of that again, although it is tempting. Uh, this is Wildlife, and this, I believe, is the directorial debut from one of my favourite actors, a man who is incredibly underrated, uh, Paul Dano. Um, so this, the trailer is widely available now. Um, just to give you... Um, Crux of it. It stars Carrie Mulligan, who is an actress I very, very much rate, uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal, again, someone I would rate quite highly. I think with oh, would you would you co-sign on that, Pete? As those two being uh, fairly talented, I would say.
2: Yeah, I you know that I'm I'm a great fan of Jake Gyllenhaal's twitchy face and ample yeah. physique, <laughs> and um, and then yeah, no, it, the cast sounds really strong, and like you said, Paul, Paul Dano is an immensely talented actor. So yeah, exciting to see him. The other side of the camera, I would think. Is he in it? Does he act in it as well? No, no. And it's
1: co-written by Zoe Kazan as well, who was really, really good in uh, *The, Big, the Sick. Big Sick*. Yeah. Um, and they're married. In are they married in real life? I think they are married in real life in Venice. Um, I don't know that much about the plot. I'll be perfectly honest. I've seen the trailer. The trailer doesn't give too much away. It uh, seems like a. It's definitely a drama. It's based on a 1990 novel called *Of well, the Same Name* by an author called Richard Ford. Um, and it went down very, very well at Sundance. Um, so I'm very excited to see this. And it is out soon. <laughs> got, got a date? It's yep. out soon. No. Brilliant. We no. must
2: have I haven't a, got date. a date. I haven't got a UK date yet. Oh, shame. We, there's nothing. There's nothing at all. So we've got, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's here. I found it. 9th of November, <laughs> apparently. Oh, that's a way off, isn't it? That's annoying. I want to it before then. Yeah, it's this year. So um yeah, just think about other things. I mean, imagine like are you going to any festivals or anything? You focus on Primavera uh, Sound possibly, <laughs> I think. I don't know if that's been I don't know
1: if that's come up at all. Uh, Jack looks like he's going to fucking Jack looks like he's just going to knife us to death. I mean, I'm safe unless Jack can stab me through skull. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I think he uh, might be where I think he might be wearing his
2: hat the other way around soon. I think he's <laughs> got the, he's got that kind of technical now, so that he can do some kind of exis, uh, existence type stuff, where like you know your computer will suddenly strangle you or something. <laughs> for, like electrical pulses will come your way. Um, for my coming attraction this week, I'm you know semi-excited. This one comes out 18th of June, and it is Oceans Eight. Um, Oceans Eight, I know, is the kind of thing that people are grown acts. It's like, oh, I'm making another Oceans movie. I don't care. Um, well, I care a little bit. Gary Ross is the director. He wrote big so you know take that I like Big quite a lot he also has directed a few dreadful films but we're going to skip over that for now um,
1: in <laughs> I love this... that all the way back to him writing Big he wrote Big, yeah, Big. He wrote in 93
2: 25 years later excited for him to direct <laughs> this um, yeah as well in the, the the throng of ladies who make up this uh, predominantly female cast Ocean's 8 uh, we've got Kate Blanchett we've got Olivia Munn we've got uh, Dakota Fanning Sandra Bullock Anne Hathaway Sarah Paulson who's great in every Everything, I think. Um, and on and on and on. H- Helena Bonham Carter, Jamie King, uh, Katie Holmes, Mindy Calling, loads of people. Rihanna, Aquafina, a- yeah. who is just called Aquafina apparently. That's a great um, name, pr- pretty good, I guess, as a as a name that you're going to throw about Hollywood. You're not going to forget it in a hurry. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like I like stuff about heists. I said already last week that if you tell me that people are breaking out of prison, you'll get me in the cinema. When people are stealing a thing with like some kind of intricate plot. I'm quite into that too. I know this is going to be like paint-by-numbers, crowd-pleasing, popcorn-munching nonsense, but with that amount of talented female actresses involved, I would like to think that it's going to be at least passably good. So I'm not going to get down on it. I'm fairly hopeful for something, yeah, like I say, reasonably entertaining. I think there's a lot of charisma on screen. You've only got to wait till June the 18th. That one is Ocean's 8. We'll see what you think of that. See, I'm
1: just going to throw something in here. I'm it, This one perplexes me a little bit because i i've got a feeling here that the studio or t- despite the fact that we're, we're supposed to be move, moving towards fair representation in the cinema uh it just strikes me as the bit that the studio didn't really have enough faith in an all-female led cast uh, like um, heist film Why, uh, and just labeled this as another oceans film if you see where i'm coming from so i it's, yeah. it's in, it it does seem forced into the oceans canon kind of, i think like Sandra Bullock, or is the sister, or of one of of Danny Ocean, I think, from the Ocean's films, and that's how they've this kind of tenuous link to it. I mean, it might be revealed more in the film, but it just smacks the studio doesn't have enough faith in them. Um, I I take your point.
2: I take your point. But if you flip your point the other way, do you think the the studios necessarily have enough faith in an all male led heist property that isn't connected to a franchise? Mm, look, what happened. look what happened to Logan Lucky for example now in the totally different movies obviously yeah. that, that film I don't know if it bombed but didn't do great uh, the Steven Soderbergh movie from not long ago and I, I think you're you are I, I, I see where you're coming from and I basically think I agree with you but I would say that in this day and age if they can stick anything with, into a franchise and there's that name recognition to get people through the door and into seats I think that that's going to be the instinct of most big studios at this point um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll wait and see, Paul, won't we? I mean, we'll have a review on this thing in in just a few weeks. I think right? it'll be fun. I
1: think it'll be fun regardless. I don't. I don't think it'll be terrible. I don't think it'll be great, but I think. I think it will be. I think it'll be fun. I'm hoping. I've got. I'm, I'm hopeful on this one. Hopefully, it'll be. I'm not a big fan of the trailer, but I think it might be better than it looks. So we shall see.
2: Can I? Can I give you this to sign off on Ocean's Eight? The eight main cast uh, members have won four Oscars, two Emmys, eight Grammys, six Golden Globes, five BAFTAs, and ten SAG Awards combined. So, take that, the world. Yeah, I mean that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but yeah. Well, like I said, we'll see, man. Like, wait and see. A few weeks' time, we'll get the review. Between now and then, though, obviously we've got other fish to fry because we've got to go off to Barcelona for a music festival. Jack what have you got <laughs> uh, what's the SAG award coming, uh, it's for Screen and, Actors Guild isn't it yes thank you I was okay, going to make cool. a really off colour joke so <laughs> you saved me <laughs> yeah. um, Jack what's attracting you in the near future
0: uh, so this film's called Leave No Trace uh, it's about a father and his 13-year-old daughter. It's Jack, us. sorry to interrupt.
1: Yes. Could you have found a bigger notebook than the one you're using at the moment?
0: <laughs> I like this notebook. It's amazing.
2: It's nearly the Although same size a, as you. i at home, can't see
0: it. It's a homemade book that my mother made me, so I <laughs> okay. hold it quite dearly. Um, and, and, yeah, so, uh, and you,
2: you also can't see that Jack's actually written an 18-page essay on Leave No Trace. <laughs> pretty much, yes. Yeah, so I'm going to read it word well, for word now. What's the, the, uh, the so, skilling yeah, on so this?
0: So, Leave No Trace. Um, it's directed by um, Deborah Granite. Uh, who was she directed Winter's Bone back in two thousand. Oh, so she did, yeah. Um and it's about a father who's played by Ben Foster. Um, Good, and great
2: Ben Foster like the uh this the double if you need a double for Ryan Gosling perhaps not so are not so poor man's Ryan Gosling.
1: Yes, <laughs> of
0: course. Uh, and basically and his thirteen year old daughter who's played by Tomazin Mackenzie um, and they live a peaceful life in a very big park so basically they've they camp in this park and they've lived there for a couple of years sort of living off the land and stuff uh something goes wrong and basically they get sent into um social housing and the film follows them trying to get back to this peaceful existence that they already have um it's got 84 metascore so i think that's that sort Promising. of saying something so far um and it's out on the 29th of june so not too long to wait for that one
2: yeah, no, that sounds interesting. I think I've, I've sort of heard the name uh, bandied about, um, but I don't really know much about it. So, yeah, g- good, good call. And I think um, it'd be good to watch out. What was, sorry, I, I missed it. What was the restate? Uh, 29th of June. 29th of June. Yeah, nice. Actually. So another one coming up very soon. And It'll just be limited, because... though, I would have thought, but hopefully we'll get it. Hopefully we'll get it and uh leave no trace of course leave a trace uh, is a, a church's track isn't it paul and they're playing at primavera aren't they paul right um <laughs> so got most stewart lee on this episode with these references <laughs> dropping in <is laughs> the way you're doing it I think. <laughs> um so we had a main purpose for for being here today um, other than to sort of enjoy our lives which was to talk about uh, solo a star wars story and we will do that right after this
1: So I'll give this a go. Shall I set it up? Um, yeah,
2: please do, because I will tie myself yeah. in knots if I try. No, fair enough. In and fair,
1: in fairness, this one this one takes place outside of the normal timeline of Star Wars. So, uh, well, kind of, yeah, I think it's not too difficult to set up, but here we go. So basically, Solo picks up and gives us the backstory to the ever-popular Han Solo character played by Harrison Ford in the Star Wars films. I think everyone in the whole world will be aware of this. Um, the film picks up with him on his, I believe, native Corellia, um, where he's trying to escape a life of servitude with his girlfriend, Kira, played by Amelia Clark. So uh, who have we got playing? house over? Alden... Alden
2: Ehrenreich, have... Ehrenreich is his... Alden Ehrenreich,
1: well pronounced, well pronounced. So Alden Ehrenreich and Amelia Clark are kind of the, the leads that we, that we start with here. Um, and they are trying to escape Corellia. Uh, and like a life of servitude under what appears to be some sort of alien gang boss kind of thing. So we're in kind of familiar territory if you're aware of kind of the huts and uh, the, the the gangs that the Star Wars gangs on Tatooine. Um, and it picks up from there really. And they something goes wrong very early on. They get separated. Han uh, manages to get off of corelia Promises he's going to. Find some money, buy a ship, and come back and save the love of his life, which is Kira, um, as I said, played by Amelia Clark. And the film goes on from there. I'm not going to try not to spoil any more of the film in terms of plot wise. Um, but so basically, it sits, I'm trying to work out where it sits in the timeline. So I think it sits, it certainly sits after the prequels, but before A New Hope and before Rogue One. So it was kind of in between episode. Three and Rogue One, here I think, in terms so, that's about where I can work out. So, in, 2000 in, in 2018,
2: hours. Paul, in 2018, we're just joining up with the sort of beginning of 1977, is that about right? Yes, yeah, kind of, yeah, I if you so, can get your so. head around that. Um, yeah, so whilst you're, you're dwelling on that sort of paradoxical conundrum of a situation, uh, here's a little clip. Think you want to make that move,
1: you want to make that move. You made that move, okay. I guess I'll have to destroy that little guy. Somehow I never get bored with winning.
0: You can't wipe them off, they're holograms. Hey, hey, hey Chewy, relax. Hey, try to compose yourself. Look, all you gotta do is think a few moves ahead, anticipate your opponent.
2: There's a lesson to be learned here. So, what you heard there was the uh, inimitable voice of Woody Harrelson. I'm sure people recognise that, and uh, the part, the bit that we've chosen for that clip, we've tried to choose for the reason that it doesn't spoil anything, basically. So if it seemed a bit innocuous, that is the reason. Um, it's where uh, Chewy and uh, Woody Harrelson's character Beckett are playing sort of a version of chess with holographic pieces. Um, and you kind should of, be familiar with from uh, from A New Hope,
1: which they're playing on the Millennium Falcon in New I, Hope. So um, familiar, so familiar, Paul. Yeah, I like, almost jumped be. out of my
2: chair at that, <laughs> at that moment. Uh, but yeah, like a kind of light relief moment, of which there are a number here. And maybe start there, Paul, because you trailed the uh, fact that you were going to talk about sort of your your infamous Christmas time rant about uh, the Last Jedi. And one of the things I remember you saying there is that the film had gone too far in the direction of just sort of like shoehorning in comic relief, silly like muckabout moments. Is that firstly an accurate representation of what you said, and secondly, how do you think they weave in some lighter stuff into this movie? Well, I think
1: that my, my problem with the Last Jedi is the fact that it tries to it tried to. Um, What's up this? I've forgotten the word I'm looking for now. Completely forgotten the word I'm looking for. Tried to upset, like, it tried to do something so different and so, so and tried to be so different. And because Force Awakens was accused of being more of the same. Uh, so, Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson basically took it and he's run, I'm going to subvert everything you think you like about Star Wars. And for me, it shit all over everything I liked about Star Wars. And I think with The Last Jedi, the reason, part of the reason the comedy doesn't work, and it's the same problem I, in fact, had with Avengers Infinity War, is the fact that it's not that the comedy doesn't, all of, it, all of it doesn't work for me, which it didn't in Last Jedi, it's just that there's so many sort of glacial shifts in tone that Star Wars, the wider Star Wars story, if you look back to Empire, certainly Empire Strikes Back, which is the best Star Wars film, that's a dark film. There is a lot of pretty harrowing drama in Empire Strikes Back. Whereas The Last Jedi tries to have some harrowing drama and then it's like, oh, look, that looks drinking some milk from the teat of a crap alien <laughs> character. Or there's a little CGI and, oh, look, there's a Porg. And then suddenly you've got, you know, then suddenly you've got the galaxies in peril again. So got a, got more... a sling
2: that merch, Paul. Got a sling that merch. Well, exactly,
1: yeah. And But it's it's, it's the glacial shifts in tone, I think, the more I think about The, the Last Jedi is, is more what I didn't like about it. Whereas with, uh, with Solo... Um, from the start, the film is like a light-hearted is a light-hearted fun. Caper film, like it's almost it's a heist film in many ways. The train heist scene is is fantastic, for example. Um, and I think just so I think so for me, the the humour in here works. Um, also, we, we didn't mention Lando Carisian's back in this, played by uh, Donald Glover. Well, we didn't uh, mention who, a
2: lot in the setup, but yeah, we can yeah. get into it in, in course of yeah, the characters. Yeah, but yeah, you're which right. We, to... we will do. But, um, so Donald so yeah, Glover's everywhere at the moment, and he's also here, yes. being all swaggy and charismatic. So yeah, that's it. Um, which is a which is a fair description of his performance, I think. So.
1: So no, I think um, yeah. So I like the fact it set this up as a light-hearted tone from the start. It sets itself up as a light-hearted, fun film. So for me, the, the humour there isn't a problem because it doesn't jar with anything else. I think I'd be. I think I also there is. There's been some concern, massive concerns about Solo because it's been widely publicised that in pre-production. Um, Alden Ehrenreich, I've completely forgotten the printout. him, in his name again. Um, uh, Alden Ehrenreich is his name. Alden Ehrenreich was uh, rumoured to be given acting lessons on sex, so he didn't think he was doing it. A- Good job. Um, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, the guys behind the Jump Street films and the Lego Movie, were brought on board and then subsequently fired by
2: Lucasfilm. Uh, uh, Harrison Ford Paris. came came on board, as, I think, as well to to coach yes, him a little I bit. I think to it? help him out. And then Ron Howard
1: then took over directing, uh, who is a man that's made as many really good films as, as he has really bad films. His, his consistency level is poor, but when he hits, like Ron Howard, is a very good filmmaker. So there was that, and yeah, I think I mean, a lot of people really wanted to see what Lord and Miller did, but my understanding from what Lord and Miller were trying to do is it was kind of just, right, ad libit it and see where you go, which I don't think, would, have having seen the end result that Ron Howard put together, I don't think Lord and Miller's approach necessarily would have worked, so I don't think it's necessarily such a bad thing we didn't get their film. Um, sorry I cut so, you off there you, so, yeah,
2: you, you can tell if you're new to our show that Paul's fairly invested in the Star Wars uh, sort of <laughs> tra- franchise because when you ask him a question like do you think that the humour worked you get an answer that lasts about four days but yeah all, all I think good and, and interesting points and I want to pick up on that Alden Ehrenreich stuff because this guy um, it, it only like the penny dropped somewhere during the film or maybe even afterwards actually that he is the uh, sort of hapless American actor in City. Caesar who can't deliver the line would that it were so simple, which was like one of my favourite moments in cinema of that year, just a couple of years ago. And he's like this guy to me, not knowing when I saw the movie that he'd actually had these things like, you know, extra acting coaching or whatever advice on, on set to me, it struck me that his performance really carried this thing along. Like, I don't know. I don't see all the sort of strings and things going on behind the scenes. Obviously we just see the final product, but he seemed to me a guy that they, can really put some stock into because comparing like Paul compare him with the performance that we saw in Valerian that we mentioned earlier on um, yeah, yeah 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 an actor that I like Danterhan but nothing like to my mind anyway the charisma and the sort of um, wherewithal that the uh olden ehrenreich had in this thing so for me he was a big highlight in addition to that you were talking about like darkness and light and stuff so i want to highlight something to do with the light getting into as many positives as possible first of all which is that i think one of the great strengths for me as a sort of star wars outsider i've never as we've talked about many times before i've never been a big fan really i'm not that invested but what makes such a big difference to me as an outsider or what you'd call in football like a neutral is coming in and having actors on screen that exude charisma and i think front and center in that group is not only woody harrelson obviously but is the actress amelia clark who as you mentioned is is central to the plot here amelia clark for me is one of those people who has like this light inside of her that shines so brightly that even if she was under par in terms of her performance which i certainly don't think she was here she shines so brightly that it's just kind of infectious and it makes you want to watch her and it makes you want to know you know and and, and uh live through the story that she's telling i mean do you do you agree on that
1: yeah one? I, I, I do agree And if you compare either of the lead performances in this to to daisy ridley in the last jedi they they trounce her in terms of acting ability they absolutely trounce her like Daisy Ridley is just very flat, unfortunately. As an actress, it's not necessarily her. I feel like she's obviously riding the Star Wars train, and more power to her. But she's not a great actress, and she does not have, for me, enough charisma really to carry a Star Wars film. Whereas the two leads here just have effortless charisma, and it's just it's just a joy to watch the two to it's just a joy to watch them perform yeah, together. I and, think they're both really really good.
2: And you mentioned um, Daisy Ridley, and then of course, of course, in the Star Wars universe, we've had Felicity Jones, another actress who I think is is phenomenal in in most things. However, I think Amelia Clark is maybe even above Felicity Jones in Star Wars. Is what I mean, not not yeah. you know, writ large, but but in Star Wars. Jack, um, jump in on this stuff because we, we've left you out in the uh, no, of cold a little bit. Uh, Performances-wise, and in terms of like the tone of the film, do you agree with what we're saying? Do you like? What's your feel on on the sort of tone? Was it funny enough for you? Entertaining enough for you? And did you like the performances?
0: I thought Amelia Clark stole the show. Absolutely, she was she was perfect in the role that she had, um, and the twists and turns of her character were amazing. Um, and obviously, the guy that we, none of us can pronounce properly—he
2: Alden Ehrenreich—I reckon I'm doing pretty well. well. Yeah, okay, Alden Ehrenreich. He can do better. You just
0: keep saying it <laughs> over <doesn't> again. <laughs> if he's as you know, as a, as solo, which is obviously quite a big role to suddenly take on in his Huge career. pressure, Huge yeah. pressure. And I felt he brought it to life so well. Mm. And because obviously we don't really know the, much of the background of Solo's life, this was fascinating. Yeah,
2: and it might be like, it might sound like damning it with faint praise, but like it, during this movie, which ran, what, two hours, ten minutes perhaps? A little over two hours? I was never bored. No. I was never bored. It and and really, I know that really sounds really like real. such a minimal requirement, minimum requirement for a movie, but I, I have to confess that like, a number of star wars films that i've seen obviously not the original trilogy but i'm talking about uh, since uh, phantom menace and on i've been bored in almost every one of those films at a point in the in the plotting i think part of
1: it part of what works for me and i'm just going to throw it down there, this is probably my favorite recent star wars film i think and i, I really really like this it, it's it's reignited my love for star wars i'm almost ready to start playing star wars battlefront 2 again that, that's how much it's reignited <laughs> my love for star wars um, but I think part of the reason it works so well is because it's not hamstrung it's, it's what what I've said about the, the Marvel movies now there's so much Star Wars all the time my favourite like Black Panther I enjoyed more than Infinity War because Black Panther wasn't hamstrung with having to fit it into a wider story arc whereas I think with so, it's a similar thing with Soda A it's showing you like the, the criminal underworld in more detail which is not really something well which hasn't been explored on the big screen it has in the, in the books in the expanded universe but certainly not on the big screen before so it's showing you new bits to Star Wars. It's not hamstrung having to lead into another film like Rogue One was. Um, and I'd like Rogue One enough, but that, that for me was one of the things. The prequels also were hamstrung by having to lead into the, the, the later trilogy, the, the original trilogy. So yeah, this, this can just, breathe on its own and i think if you take it as a film in its own right i think it works very very well yeah i'd almost be inclined to say i'd almost rather see a sequel to this than i would at the moment see episode nine uh, I, I genuinely would be quite happy to see where solo goes next um because there is room there is room for the characters to breathe um and,
2: and paul it's, it's not to sort of spoil anything really about the, the plot but i mean if you strip it down what you've essentially got in this movie is a fetch quest that anyone who plays you yeah. know adventure video games will be very familiar with or multiplayer video games like it's a fetch quest and and you'd think like over two hours how can that be sustained but the thing that sustains it is what we're talking about is like the little flashes of comedy but also just strong performances charismatic performances you mentioned Donald Glover Donald Glover's having a great time here um and also- he does a really
1: good Billy Dee Williams as well he does a really good job of portraying Lando and I will say as well we, we go back to Amelia Clarke as well Amelia Clarke's outfits are on point and so are Lando's outfits both of those like to the best best dressed characters in blockbusters this year without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> well,
2: I, I've been reliably informed by by someone that I work with that um, the necklace that stood out to me, there's a necklace that she wears in it where I was like, I really like that necklace, which is probably not what I'm supposed to get out of a Star Wars movie. But apparently it's either <laughs> Gucci or Versace. We're, we're not sure right. at this point, but okay. we'll find out. Crit- critical information. Um, we can't talk about the cast, Paul, without... Mentioning at least mentioning Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who in this movie plays uh, L337, the female robot potential, is she, isn't she, love interest of the Donald Glover, Lando Carizian character. <laughs> um, because she, we know in the UK, we know her from stuff like Fleabag that she created and performs in and stuff. And um, she's got like a, a theatre background, I believe. But here, I thought she imbued that robotic character with so much life. As to it's the... weird you say
1: that because that's the one character that didn't work for me. Ah, is it because she's a woman? No, <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's because she's a robot. No, it's not.
0: No, I,
1: I don't know. I just think, I just think maybe I'm, I'm over the, again the saying like because there's so much Star Wars now, it's just like does every Star Wars film have to have a comedy relief droid? It seems like they do. So I'm kind of a bit. I know what you mean. Worn out by. By the, he's yet another funny droid. I know what so. you mean,
2: but like, I think this comedy droid was like preferable to a lot of other comedy droids. Even that comedy droid in uh, Interstellar, I didn't particularly go for. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I quite like this comedy droid in the in the subcategory of comedy droids that we've seen in movies recently. Uh, we'll do a top five at some point. Um, yeah, we should do. We should. Now, Paul, can I swing it around? So you know, the reviews it seems like are strong. With this one. However. On the other side. With the Star Wars movie. You always have to address the dark side. I'm making the effort guys. I am really making the effort. Oh, <laughs> I'm making this. So yes. you always have to address the dark side. Now. Maybe this to me. Feels like the elephant in the room. In this discussion. And I really am interested. To get your takes. I almost phoned you. Coming out of this Paul. To ask your opinion about this. Because you. Very specifically. Will have an opinion. So. The first like. Half to two thirds of this movie. Again saying nothing about the plot. Is some of the worst lit, muddiest cinematography I have seen in a long time. Am I wrong?
1: No. I, it's a very dark film in places. It's bizarre. Oh, really I don't know really whether dark. it's... Whether it's the 3D, I don't know. because I didn't see it in 3D. 3D. It can, I saw it in no, 3D. No, but it can still darken down. Whether it, if you're shooting on 3D film, it can still, I think, okay. darken down film. Mm. Um, I might be wrong on that one. Yeah, it's a, it's a... I don't know whether it's because they were going for maybe like a gritty or, or sort of grubby aesthetic. But no, it's yeah, it, it's a very dark film. At I would times, agree with it's that. just
2: it's straight up underlit right? You have the the uh, little office, whatever you'd call it, with, with Dryden Voss, the, the Paul Bettany character in, right? And there's light coming through the windows at the back. And as you know, when you've tried to take photos of someone who's standing in front of a, a bright window, uh, or you've tried to do a podcast with curtains open in the back. Yeah, background, when you guys open the curtains, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't work. At a very basic level, it's something that needs adjustment and fixing. Because to me, and again, I'm... I'm not clearly not the expert here, but like the newer Star Wars films, it strikes me would be targeted at a sort of even younger audience than ever before. And they would be, if anything more sort of vibrant and colorful. Now I get it. If you need to have darkness because the nature of, for example, the mud, whatever it's called at the beginning, the kind of muddy bit that they're in, I don't know the name of that. Um, But yeah, obviously you can't have neon mud, but at the same time, Something about the way that this was presented felt unfinished, from like a cinematography point of view, and I'd be fascinated to know why that is, because it seems like such an oversight.
1: Well, it might be that certain scenes have been shot by one the pair of directors, and other scenes have been shot by Ron Howard. It, it,
2: yeah. It may
1: be. yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that maybe too. that's what it is. I do I do kind of agree. I think, but I think going back to the I think. I don't really have much negative to say about this film, to be honest. I think is I really liked all of the fan service. There's loads of Easter eggs in there for sort of hardcore Star Wars nerds, Uh, absolutely loads. And I think the thing when I watch it a second time that there will be more. Um, A a series favourite makes a return um, in this film, which I'm not 100% sure. I like how they fitted that in, but it was certainly cool to see this character back on the screen without a shadow of a doubt. so, and it would that that character return make sense if you've seen the animated series of Clone Wars. So, yeah, that's that's kind of that would make more sense there. But to a lot well, of people, it would probably who hasn't be going, seen
2: that, like who yes. wouldn't have seen the animated series of Clone Wars? <laughs> Well, exactly, Pete. So, but to, to the uninitiated, they might be confused
1: as to why this character is returned. But if um, you want to know the explanation, watch episode 497, whatever time code it is.
2: You mispronounced uninitiated. You meant losers. Absolute losers who haven't seen that. But- so, no, That basically what I want to say is I
1: really, really enjoyed this film. The pace wobbles a little bit towards the end, but it is a very very fun uh, as you say heist or sort of fetch film with some great set pieces some great performances it's great to see uh, it's great to see star wars back for me firing on all cylinders again i really really enjoyed this what's
2: that little monkeying like one this isn't spoiling anything is it with the multiple arms
1: yeah yeah he's
2: don't i, I should know i'll i'll find out Pete. Well, awesome. I'm appalled. Uh,
1: but uh, yeah, no, and, and from my side... I could have just made up a character. He's,
2: he's, he's a mongon. There you go.
1: <laughs> That's what he is.
2: We just made it up. <laughs> in fact, in fact, in the film, if if I recall correctly, don't they make a few jokes that are basically poking fun at Star Wars in the sense that people yes. name drop like very specific nerdy shit about like a particular planet or race or whatever, and someone will kind of be quite withering and be like, "Oh yeah, of course, that's what it is," you know. Yeah, so yeah, again, yeah, yeah, I appreciate so. that. Again, I appreciate that because you don't feel it doesn't feel like it's excluding me. As someone who isn't, like, knee-deep in Star Wars lore, I felt like I could still have a good time with this. And like I said before, I was never bored. It zipped along at a pace. Even though it's over two hours long, it didn't feel to me too much uh, like an overlong movie. And so, yeah, I I may not like it quite as much as you, Paul, but then I wouldn't expect to. And I think coming out of it with with a positive set of feelings is a real triumph on my, from my side anyway, because when I booked for this, because we had to do it for the podcast, once I'd made the booking, there's something in my head was just like, Oh, do I have to, do I have to go and (laughs) see this movie? But yeah, I I was, you know, proved utterly mistaken because yeah, I really liked it. Good. Good. So Star Wars is back.
0: Star Wars is back. Yeah,
2: it is back. Um, well, we will be back in a bit uh, when we have had a little break, because we're not going to do an episode next week, as far as I know, are we, Paul? I don't think so, no. I think we'll probably
1: be back with, probably, I imagine by the time we're back, we'll probably be back with Jurassic World's All in Kingdom, which I am incredibly excited so, Rob, about please. watching. Um, why is that, Pete? The director has done something. Who's the director of Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom again? Is it well,
2: I J. I don't know because I kind of want to tell you that J. A. Bayona is sort of like appearing at Primavera, but he isn't, um, <laughs> unfortunately. But yeah, he, he he already did The Impossible. Well, you know, you know, look it up. <laughs> I, I've made the, the joke. If I put that on Twitter, it would get at least three retweets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I want to say, though, Paul, is have we collectively or individually got anything that we want to leave people with in terms of end credits? We usually end the show by just shouting out something that we think is cool out of the world or maybe related to films. Lads, have we got anything at all that is pressingly important to tell people about?
0: Not really. But the, um, oh, what film is it? I can't remember.
2: Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom.
0: Yeah, there's a new uh, game on the iPhone. It's an automated. Uh... Oh shit! That's actually what it is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, was a complete,
2: <laughs> I was joking, but yeah, you are actually talking about Jurassic. So like Pokemon augmented. Yeah. Oh, it's like Pokemon Go, but with J- Jurassic Park. And you isn't go it? and
0: find all these dinosaurs, and you capture the dinosaurs, and then you battle with the dinosaurs. That's pretty awesome. Go and check it out. Nice. So, what is this actually called? It's called Jurassic World Alive.
2: Ooh. Uh, and it's available on the App Store. Yeah, I would guess. so
0: yeah, on the App
2: Store, that's where I got it from. So. Paul, any recommendations, commendations for this uh,
1: I'm going to throw a credit to Ron Howard for delivering a bloody good film in solo, which I kind not of have already done, but that's what I'm going to do. Well done, Ron Howard. You did a good job. Don't don't listen to the hate.
2: Yeah, <laughs> cr- creating that and, and also partly creating the lovely Bryce Dallas Howard, who um, was on Graham Norton this week and uh, was looking terrific. Um, and, and the Development developments back this week isn't it as well talking of Ron Howard I think you're right yeah I think you're yes. right lots to be excited about and we haven't mentioned it so far so I am going to mention it now um, we're going to Primavera Sound in Barcelona <laughs> just soon and the reason I bring that up at this point is partly just because I'm really annoying and I won't let things go but it's also uh, to say that there are things film related at the festival which I think will try and sort of talk about at least a little bit when we get back behind the microphones for the next episode so we've oh, got what, what well we've got, we got there um jane birkin that people know from things like um blow out blow out blow up blow out blow up the the blow one about the photographer blow up blow up, uh, blow up yeah thank you right, right. Uh, yes. yeah and Jane Birkin of course um, talking of, of parents and their children is the one of the parents of Charlotte Gainsbourg who is also there and people all know from things like Antichrist and, and working with Lars von Trier of late um, and on uh, the, the one about fly fishing and sex what's that called? No familiar yeah. thank you yeah she's in that as well um, yeah so she's there sadly and we couldn't talk about this without mentioning Johan Johansson is not there having passed away soon after we had booked for the festival um you you can read about that if you don't know about it already but obviously he was the guy who scored things like a rival and he's a massive loss the guy died at 46 years of age I believe 46 47 something like that um so that'll be there'll probably be an element of sadness I think around that at the festival um, in addition, though, and anything else, we've got um, Carpenter Brute, Paul. Carpenter Brute, who are an act who have scored some shorts at this point, but if they don't get to score a like uh, niche interest kind of cult film at some point soon, I will be utterly disgusted because their music <laughs> is sensational. Like I'm thinking of things like um, The Guest, right? They, yeah. they could do a movie like that, absolutely proud. And so. the guys who did the music from The Guest, though. Do, are they not there? Did we not bring this up at one point? Uh, possibly so, yeah. Is it is it Ricks something something? Yeah, I think they are as well. Uh the music yeah. from Stranger Things, the people who did that music, they're also there. Yeah. Um so yeah, all kinds of sort of film-related stuff, which is awesome as a little addendum to the fact that there's loads and loads of music. So yeah, we'll report back on that if we get back in one piece in sort of a week and a half, couple of weeks' time. And until then, unless we, you know, uh stash a couple of microphones in our luggage and take them to Barcelona. I think we're going to be saying goodbye for for a a little bit of time.
1: Yes. So, yes, wish us a good holiday. We will be back uh, in, I'd say, probably a week and a half, two weeks' time with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. But that's it for now, so thank you for listening as ever. We're going to enjoy our holiday, and we'll speak to you soon. Take care. Peace.
0: Shut Shut up and sit down.